The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesQuid, the app that helps salespeople discover why they miss quota and what to do about it. Find out more at salescred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Our guest today is an expert in so many disciplines, Lee. We're going to have more of an umbrella discussion, but it's going to be great, great education for all of us. Yeah. And, and I love the phrase conscious capitalism because these days, you know, customers aren't just looking for something that's going to solve their problem or, or, or make their life better. They also want to know that the people that they're dealing with are good people. They have good intentions uh, and they're honorable. So uh, I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah. And emotionally intelligent. We're going to talk about that as well. For sure. Yeah. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm Celie Smith. I am the founder and CEO of SalesFuel. And joining us today is Jeff Risley, the Chief Growth Officer at Saxum with 30 years of experience. And like I said, a lot of different things, marketing, business development, strategy, consulting, sales, organizational growth, so scaling, and relationship building combined with the drive to create a better world, which you just referred to, Lee. Jeff is here to help you make some meaningful change in your business. So Jeff, welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Audrey and Lee. Nice to talk to both of you. So what do we want to start? Do we want to start with emotional intelligence? You say that's the number one mistake managers make is not having it. You know, it's a, it's a, I don't think an overstatement, but <clears throat> I, it could be controversial. The The reason I say that it's a big mistake managers make is that most of us who are brought up, at least in a certain time, were taught more the hard skills than the soft skills of being great leaders and being great managers. And we've just found in our agency and you know, dealing with our own folks as well as our clients that the emotional intelligence part of it is so, so important because really we're just laptops and people, most of us, right? So if we can't somehow be better leaders through being more emotionally intelligent, understanding people's feelings, you know, knowing that they have them and they're going to express them, helping people guide their emotions in a way that will have a positive outcome. I think it's very critical and we take it very seriously at Saxon. We have an entire program that we have implemented and have been using for years now that gives us a common language for how we as uh, as partners are going to deal with each other and all of the emotions that we have. Well, let's share some insight on that. What does that look like? Yeah, it's, it's really based on Myers-Briggs, but it's mm. called Giant Worldwide. So Giant is a consultant that's been working with us for years and they train us on our voices. So our voices use our Myers-Briggs letters to help us figure out in a simpler way that, for example, I'm a connector and connectors have very specific uh, personality types. Um, we also, though, have three or four other voice types. And so if I'm dealing with you, Lee, probably mm -hmm. a connector as well, if I had to guess, um, I would know basically how to approach you and deal with you in certain ways just simply by that one piece of information. And then we have a whole set of training tools that we use as well that help us with specific situations, like uh, if I have to have a tough conversation, or if I'm giving feedback, or if I'm you know, working through a challenge with somebody, how I give support versus challenge. It's a really interesting process, and it's made a world of difference, in my opinion. 
for sure. It's all about being able to communicate so that you're actually heard by the, by the other person and actually, uh, you know, not the golden rule, which is treating them how they want to be, you know, treating them, you know, as you would want to be treated, but treating them the way that they want to be treated. And I think that's really what's, what's really cool about what you're talking about here. Yeah. Well said. What's uh, obsessed for good. That's a slogan that the agency has. Tell us a little yeah. bit about, about that. Good question, Audrey. I'm glad you brought it up because it's, it's really important to us. Um, obsessed for good simply means that we are trying to help our clients do more than just make money. We are absolutely trying to help them make meaningful and measurable change in the world. And you said it in the intro there, business today is it's expected whether you're a brand that's selling to consumers or you're a business selling to other businesses in this day and age now, purpose-driven business is really important. Conscious capitalism is a great example of that. And I'll tell you, um, ESG, if you've heard that term before, um, environment, social, and governance um, standards are driving a lot of this as well. But the world is changing. Uh, in fact, I was at a conference recently listening to, um, to Paul Pullman, who was a former CEO of Unilever. Uh, basically talking about this movement. And um, he basically said, you know what? Milton Friedman is dead. Milton Friedman did everything, you know, the, the economic policy around shareholder value. And really now it's more about stakeholder value and a variety of other um, components that we think of that are obsessed for good businesses and what they're doing. So for us, we're trying to help clients make that meaningful and measurable impact beyond just their bottom line. So with everything, every way that the world has changed over the last two years, I mean, we had a pandemic, we had social unrest, uh, war, uh, you know, so how has marketing, you know, had to change and adapt then to a world that has changed so much and so quickly? Yeah, great question, Ellie. It's, it's had to change massively. I mean, in my 30 years, marketing's changed a great deal. In the last 10, it's been a big deal. And in the last two, it's been massive shift. And mostly it's, it's turning to a, to a customer out there that has way more information, access to information than they ever did before through any channel they, they can find it. So we're no longer trying to push sales and messaging onto clients. We're very much trying to help them meet goals. You know, if you're searching for something today, it's because you've got a problem or a pain point that you need something to solve. And we are trying to put content out there in ways that you could find it and be useful to you, be authentic and useful so you can make a good decision. And most of the time, you're 70% through the sales cycle before you'll even talk to a salesperson. So if we're not present, if we're not helping our clients be present through that 70% of the buying cycle, they don't exist. Um, the world's different because a lot of, of not what's only happened there, but with technology too. And brands like Amazon have created a whole new expectation among consumers. You know, the Amazon effect works in marketing too. You're going to buy even a B2B product similarly or expect the same type of interaction and service as you would with Amazon. Simple, clear, helpful. So what types of content that you put out there from a marketing perspective uh, has been really the most effective as far as getting people to share their contact information with you and start a relationship with your brand mm -hmm. or your client's so, brand? Yeah. 
with um, with our clients, it really is dependent, of course, on what they are selling, service or product, and who they're selling it to. Um, but I will say uh, that social channels are actually very effective for putting that content out there um, and doing things like you are doing, you know, having authentic conversations with people through podcasts, through webinars, um, through small group discussions, all of that is very helpful as well. And anything that can be found via search, think of it as this snackable sizes of content that you can put in lots of different places that can be found via search. Uh, because people, you know, they'll go to a website, but they're going to go to Google first. And we want to make sure that we can help our clients be found there first, whether it's through paid or organic. Hmm. So with sales, sort of the hard sell being out, and in many cases, like you just said, I don't even want to talk to a salesperson. What are the new ways that salespeople have to work with marketing to remain viable and relevant within the organization? I mean, you still need salespeople, but what are they doing that's different now than with marketing than what they were doing before? Yeah, good question, Audrey. I think that um, if I had to summarize it, it would Mm be, we're no longer the kind of blue blazer guys out, guys and gals (laughs) out there trying to push our product onto an audience. Instead, salespeople need to diagnose before they prescribe. They need to be more like doctors. I mean, they're problem solvers. The best, and and I think this is probably in line with your philosophy too, Lee, it's sales fuel. I mean, Mm -hmm. great salespeople are problem solvers. They really want to help their clients be the best they can be at whatever it is. And that is kind of the mentality that we use. And then the process we're using is it it needs to be very hand in glove with marketing. These teams have to work very closely together. Because the sales funnel is still there. It might look a little different, but it is still there. And we want to make sure that we, first of all, are helpful to those people out there client-wise that we need to be helpful to, get them engaged in a conversation, and then diagnose a problem. So, for example, we do discovery calls instead of sales calls. You know, we're trying to figure out what your pain points are so that we can see if our solution is a good fit or not. Much like when you walk into the doctor, the first thing they do do is not just give you pills. They ask you a bunch of questions about what's going on in your life. That's exactly what we do with our sales folks and train our clients to do. So one of the biggest objections that salespeople tend to have is uh, the status quo. And you've got some experience with the NIMBYs, the not in my backyard people. And to me, that's really just, that objection is just sort of like, I, I don't want anything to change. I like things the way they are. And so you can't really sell me on your new idea, your new development or anything like that. So yeah, what's, uh, what's your advice for dealing with, with people like that, that are pretty much stuck in their, their, their set ways and really are, are resistant to change? So good question. I, I can probably frame an answer in two different ways. Let's, let's think about it from a sales perspective and let's think about it from the NIMBY perspective that you just brought up. Um, from a sales perspective, it's all about identifying their unique pain. Everybody has problems, but nobody does anything about those problems until they reach a certain threshold of pain. If you can identify what the pain points are for a particular uh, client, somebody you're trying to have an interaction with, and the problems causing those, they will open up and talk about them. It's, it's, this is where emotional intelligence comes into play too. You have to be a great listener to be a great salesperson and ask the right questions. 
So that's really what we try to do ourselves as well as help our clients do in those circumstances. On the NIMBY front, that really deals with an area of our business we call social permitting. So you, as you know, there's any large construction project, anything at all that's expensive, complex, and has, is going to impact a lot of people, whether it's a pipeline or a park, is going to have detractors. People are not going to want it. And what we're really trying to do is apply a lot of what we do in listening and emotional intelligence and sales to um, an audience that we are trying to help a client either change their mind about the project or open their mind about that project. And it really comes down to the engagement, giving accurate information out there, being a good steward as we're working with these people and engaging them in the first place, whether it's at a dinner table or coffee shop talks uh, to social media. You can't ignore those people because they're relevant and they have feelings about this project. And you have to make sure that they're informed and heard before they'll ever open their mind or change it. I mean, whether a decision maker, an influencer, or even a stakeholder, you can't work around them as much as you want to. It's like you just can't ignore them. You just kind of and, and bulldoze, to use a construction term, you know, your way through to getting what you want. It just doesn't work, especially these days. Absolutely, Lee. And you know, we work with a lot of clients in the energy space, renewable energy developers, um, oil and gas developers. And whether it's a pipeline or a wind farm, you know, there are people that don't want that. And that's okay. We need to work with those people. Um, but we also are trying to help them understand what the benefits of this are to them individually or their community or even globally uh, to, to change the conversation about what's going on. Lee wrote a book called Sales Cred. It's on his little dais behind him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but how do you build credibility with a hostile audience then? Yeah. Um, so we kind of follow a, a, a fairly simple process. And I would say that it's, um, it's all about starting from a place of listening. When we enter a community, for example, where a wind farm might be developed, and we are now starting to have conversations with the public, the first thing we do is not talk about what the project is or how it's going to do this for you or the benefits of it or anything else. It's tell us what's going on in your world and what you think, um, you know, the either uh, benefits or detriments of this particular project are for you. I think this can apply very much to sales as well, because we don't start the conversation talking about what Saxon has to offer we talk about what your particular needs are. In fact, my very first question in any discovery call is, you know, we're having this conversation because you've got a goal that you need to meet or a challenge you need to overcome. Mm -hmm. Tell me that. In fact, in a discovery call, we don't even mention our services. We ask all questions about them that get to those pain points. And so for us, that builds credibility because they're going to think very differently about you after that interaction, whether it's out there in the, in the community or working with somebody who you're selling to. 
And that's really important to help you stand apart then from every other salesperson, every other marketing firm that, that's out there because they're so quick, the marketing firms in particular, to, to, to show you their capabilities deck and, and to brag about that. And then the salespeople as well, it's bragging about the company, about the products, trying to press that upon you. Salespeople in particular think, I only got one shot at this. It's like, and it's like, if I ask them for five minutes, I'm going to keep them on the phone for a half hour if I can, because I've got to, I've got to pretty much puke out all of all of the great stuff about me, my company, my product, and everything like that to try to impress them and win them over in, in this one shot. And that way of thinking is, I don't, it never worked. Uh, but if it did, it's certainly outdated in today's world, don't you think? Absolutely agree. We're, we are trying, we are fighting hard to change the image of salespeople by modeling the behavior ourselves. We are, we are working through this process to make sure that the people that we are working with understand we're not trying to do it the old way. And it means that a lot of times there might not be a good fit and that's okay. There may not be a good fit between our service and your needs. That's all right. You know, we can figure that out. What do you do to bring companies and managers out um, who are maybe afraid or timid about addressing uh, issues of social good, just because it's out of their comfort zone. Uh, yeah, how can you make them more comfortable, or at least let you know, or at least help them deal with the discomfort, you know, in order to be able to do that? Yeah, I love that question because we get asked it a lot, Lee. Um, you know, businesses have pretty much said in the past that government, religion, nonprofits are the ones who are supposed to deal with social issues. Well. I've always believed, and Saxon believes, and this is what we say to our clients, that if you're going to be an obsessed for good business, and I think this is a conscious capitalist business or any other in that realm, you need to take a stand. We, one of our tenets for obsessed for good is brands need to take a stand. And that means that you do things, you engage in areas that may make you uncomfortable. So I'll give you a great example of a brand that does this, Airbnb. Here we are in the middle of a major geopolitical war in Eastern Europe and Airbnb, they've done this multiple times now, is opening their doors of their members to house refugees. So they are making it through their, uh, through their foundation free for people who are refugees to stay in Airbnb guest homes. And they've done this for refugees in Syria. They're doing it for refugees in Ukraine. That is taking a stand. That is using their product and service in a way that is benefiting people. And who's going to really oppose something like that? It's a very uniting idea, a very humanitarian idea. So I heard they were doing that. Uh-huh, they are. And, you know, brands will take a stand. Nike did this with Colin Kaepernick. You know, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, um, it was controversial in the United States. And he was a big spokesperson for Nike. Well, Nike embraced that. They didn't run away from him. They put him in an ad, in fact, that was incredibly powerful. And Nike knows its audience well enough and is not afraid to stand up. So our advice to clients is maybe not start with the biggest social issue out there, or don't go ahead and necessarily make political statements immediately, but figure out what it is you care about, what your purpose is, and get engaged in those spaces and do it in an authentic way. And you will, you will actually reap the benefits because your customers will flock to you because of it.
what your team cares about, what your customers care about, and then also then you know, wh where are you uniquely positioned as a company or a team then to, to actually affect change in a positive manner, I, I would guess. That's a great summation, Lee. It, it really is. Unite all of those stakeholders, um, find out what they all care about, which is exactly what we've done at Saxum, and, and then put your effort behind that. And then don't be afraid to speak up about it. Uh, Saxum is a member of the UN Global Compact, and there are 17 you know, sustainable de development goals out there. We have found that there are six that mean a lot to us and our clients. And so we are pushing really hard to try to make a difference in those six areas. That's how we are trying to say out in the marketplace what we care about and what we stand up for. We got about a minute left. So there's a free ebook on the environmental, social, and governance you said on your website, correct? There is. Mm -hmm. And it's saxum.com, everyone. It's S-A-X-U-M as in Mary. That's correct. Uh, we've got information on there about our revenue marketing approach. We've got information on there about our ESG communications. And of course, everything that we talk about from a purpose-driven standpoint, a purpose-driven business standpoint. Well, this has been great. Your Twitter, I love your Twitter handle, by the way. Everybody, you want to tweet at Jeff, Risley Ranch. So I'm assuming yes. you live on a ranch. <laughs> well, I grew up on a farm in Kansas, ah. so uh, that that is still in the family. So uh, when I started on Twitter, what, in 2009, I thought that was a great one. I'm going to jump right in with that one. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you. This is a great tips and a really interesting lens that you look through, Jeff. We appreciate your time. Well, and thank you, Audrey and Lee. Great conversation. Um, I would love to stay in touch. You guys do a great podcast. So thank you for the time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.